Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. I have this really bad habit that I developed about the time I was 16 and uh, learning to drive. Uh, it's continued pretty much up until about two years ago. And I, I feel like I'm going to have some fellow sojourners in the room who can give me an amen in just a minute. But I hate stopping for gas in my car. And so I tend to drive my car like way towards E. Anybody else in the room? A couple of us. I saw a couple spouses kind of elbowing each other. <laughs> Anthony's got both hands raised. Double amen over here. But um, let me just explain a little bit of, of, about me. This may not explain it for everybody in the room. I know some of you, like, this is not you, I get that, but I'm a pretty driven person in most areas of my life, and so, like, when I start heading somewhere, I just want to get there. Like, I don't like, I don't like to sit in traffic, I don't like to stop for, like, I would rather, listen, this explains the weirdness of my mind, I would rather keep driving, but be going, like, in the opposite direction or sideways rather than be sitting still in traffic in the direction that I'm trying to get to. So I pull through parking lots a lot of times, which I think is illegal, so we'll delete that from the podcast. I, I, I go back. I mean, like, I do all kinds of crazy because I just hate stopping. I hate standing still. Like, I hate just not being in constant movement towards my target. And so when I'm driving and I get in my car and I see that I'm empty, I always think, not, not out of, like, a lack of wisdom. Well, maybe there is a lack of wisdom there. I'm not sure. But not, like... I, I can make it. It's just like, I hope I can make it. I just don't want to stop. Like I, The most inefficient use of my time, I think, is standing there at a pump that's going to like click off every three seconds while I'm holding it or when I little click the little tab. Now that they've changed the environmental thing where they won't allow you, like there's a little suction cup that for some reason doesn't work on any car I've ever driven. Like I can't figure out why the nozzle won't just stay in there and keep pumping the gas. I, I hate, hate stopping for gas, it just, it, it, it's infuriating to me. And, and so I said in the 915 service this morning, I said, like, man, I just want them. You know how sometimes, like, those military planes, like, they have other planes, like, come alongside of them and, like, attach, and they just pour the gas into the other plane while they continue to fly? I said, I need someone to develop that for cars so that I can be driving along. I don't have to stop. Trevor pulls up beside me in his truck. Our cars are connected. Gas goes into my tank, and then he goes and fills up with gas, and I just keep driving. They have that service, y'all. Like, somebody sent me a link. It's not that kind of thing, because I think that's dangerous. But they deliver gas to you at your house, so you don't ever have to stop. And get, I'm thinking about signing up for that. If somebody wants to get that for my birthday, it's in July. So um, I just hate stopping. I know some of you, like, right now, you have broken out in the meat sweats. Because, you're, you're, like, that makes you so... Un- you, right now, you're thinking, I might have to stop and get gas, because I've only got seven-eighths of a tank left. And so you're trying to imagine where the closest gas station to make sure that you don't drop below seven-eighths of a tank. And, and others of you, you're thinking, no, I mean, I, I, I don't need gas. I mean, I could, it, it says three miles to empty. I mean, I can drive for a while. I, I had a car one time. I, I drove a, a used car. I always drive used cars. I, I had a car that I drove on empty so much that the little bulb that tells you that you're out of gas burn out, if that tells you anything about my habits. The worst thing that I did recently is I bought a used car that has the little thing, like miles to empty, and I was just, I'd been driving it just a few weeks. My wife got in the car with me, and she was like, you need to stop for gas. It says six miles to empty, and I was like, it doesn't really mean that, though. Like, I, I've already figured out that I've got an extra about 10 miles, give or take, in this car when that says that, but I just hate stopping for gas. So I'm always running on empty. 
Always. My car is always running on empty. I've heard what it does to the fuel filter and to the engine. Like, I know it's bad for my car, but like, I just, I'm always running on empty. And today I want to talk about that idea. And so if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a story that a lot of us have probably heard. Not everybody in the room will have heard this. It's, it's a semi-famous Bible story. It's made its way into larger culture, even outside of Bible and church and faith. But I want us to talk about this story today because I believe that it contains some truths in there that all of us need to realize in our lives. And so we're going to read from 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll do what we do a lot of times when we have a little larger chunk of text. We'll read a couple verses at a time, stop, talk about them, and then come back and read some remaining verses. But we're going to read pretty much the first seven verses of 2 Kings chapter 4 as we talk today on running on empty. So this is what it says beginning in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now stop just for a second. Elisha was a really famous prophet of the Old Testament. He's not to be confused with Elijah. And so you have Elisha here who is this prophet in 2 Kings that the wife of a man from the company of prophets. There was a man who Elisha was kind of overseeing as a part of the prophets that were God was using to speak into the people of Israel and also during this time in their history to really oversee and lead uh, in, in portions of this part of the history. And so there was a man that God was using in that capacity under the leadership of Elisha and his wife cried out to Elisha about a situation that was happening. This is what she said. Your servant, my husband, is dead. So that, that man has now passed away. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house. Now let's stop right there. We're going to talk for a minute. So the situation here is you have this wife who comes to Elisha. She kind of, if you just want to think of it in the crudest terms possible, uh, you, you kind of think she goes to her husband's boss. Let's just stay with that for a second. She goes to her husband's boss to tell him about the situation that's going on in her house. She says, my husband has passed away. And after he passed away, as we're kind of settling all of his effects and all his estate there, um, the creditor, some, he owed some money to a creditor. And that creditor is now coming to collect on the bill. And I don't have any way to pay that bill. And so what he's decided he's going to do is he's going to take my two sons in his ownership now so that my two sons can work off the debt that my husband had to this creditor. So she is explaining this situation, and maybe some of you have been there. Now, I don't know if any creditors have come after your kids, but I know for some of you, you're avoiding phone calls on unrecognized numbers that you just, you don't, you're not answering that because you know it's going to be so-and-so from such-and-such -such company calling to collect on this bill that you haven't been able to pay, and you don't have the money to pay it, and you, you've been there. You understand that mindset, some of you. Others of you, you may not have that specific mindset, but you've been sitting in the room when they tell you how much it's going to cost to fix your car, or they tell you how much it's going to cost for the medical exam or for the surgery or for the procedure or what it's going to cost to bring the damages in your house up to a, a, a state where you can still continue to live in that house, and you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out, how, do, how am I going to pay this? I, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I don't know how I'm going to meet this need. I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. And so you can understand what this woman is feeling when she comes to the prophet and she says, listen, my husband's dead, and now the debt collector has showed up, and he's going to take my two sons. 
And instead of Elisha saying to her, okay, let me give you some money, he doesn't even really, unless there's a, another conversation that's taking place, he doesn't even really ask her what the amount is. He doesn't say, well, how much do you owe? Let's see if we can take up a love offering at church next Sunday. Like, he doesn't even say that. You know what he says? He was like, okay, how do you want me to help you? Like, what can I do for you? And then he asks her a question that's a recurring theme in all of the Bible when he says to her, what do you have in your house? So if you think about that question, it's a recurring question. The, the greatest example of that is the feeding of the 5,000, which is the story in the Gospels in the New Testament, when Jesus and his disciples have been doing ministry and great crowds begin to follow them. And, and all these people come out to, to follow the ministry of Jesus, and they're listening to the teaching. And they, they you know, like, like preachers tend to do, Jesus evidently is preaching a little bit long-winded, and they're going to skip lunch. They're going to miss lunch because the preacher's going too long. And so the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, listen, all these people that have showed up to hear what you're saying, they're hungry. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, let me do a miracle right here. He starts with the same question that Elisha asks this woman. He says to the disciples, what do you have to feed them? It was the first, it was kind of the origin of the varsity. What do you have, right? Y'all got to wake up with me. Come on, come on, come on. If I can talk about the varsity at 9.52 in the morning, like it's a good day, all right? It's a good day. So Jesus asks these disciples, he's like, what do you, what do you have what is it that you have that you can meet this need with? And that's the same question that Elisha asks this woman when she is talking about this situation that she finds herself. That's not the only example. If you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, you remember the burning bush, which for whatever reason has been a recurring theme in some of the, just kind of the asides of the messages over the last few weeks and months. And I've begun writing a little bit about some of these things because I believe God's doing some things through this story in our story and at some point in the future, I'll share some of those things with you. But if I, I was thinking about the burning bush story, and I was thinking about how you know, Moses is out in the middle of the desert, and he's kind of run away from his past. He, he, he actually killed a guy, and so now he's on the run, even though there's a promise over his life and a call on his life to set God's people free and to lead them out of captivity into freedom. He doesn't really know all of that yet. And so now one day he's out tending his father-in-law's sheep, and he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And so this voice from the bush calls out to him and says, Moses, Moses. Moses, and he steps over, and they begin having this conversation. And in that conversation, God lays out for him the plan. You're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to set my people free. And Moses said, well, what, if I do, what do I do if they get, I get there, and they don't believe that you sent me? And who do I tell them sent me? And what do I do if they ask this? And what do I tell Pharaoh? And, all? and one of the, those interactions between God and Moses in this conversation at the burning bush, God asks Moses what he has in his hand. Well, Moses, like a great shepherd, has one thing in his hand. It's a staff. And so God says, okay, throw it down. So he throws the staff on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And then God, in that moment, says, pick it up. I would have said no. Moses reaches down and picks up the snake, and it turns back into a staff. Now, if we understand the truth of these stories, what we understand is that God, even though he could do it on his own, chooses to work through the things that we have and chooses to press in on whether or not we will trust him in the moments of our greatest needs. In Moses' insecurity at the, at the burning bush, when he's not sure that he is the man for the job, God says, no, 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 the thing that you have in your hand that you just consider to be natural, I consider to be a tool of the supernatural so that I can prove that you're exactly who I need to do the job that I need done. 
when we see the 5,000. We see the disciples there who believe that Jesus is the answer to the need of these 5,000 people and the hunger that they feel. But Jesus turns it around on them and says, no, 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 no. Before you eat, look at me as the answer, I want you to know that there's something among you that can actually be a part of the solution to the problem that you have. And in this story here in 2 Kings chapter 4, what we see is that the prophet will not allow this woman to get away from the fact that she already possesses what she needs to meet her, her need. Now, in every one of these situations, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Every one of these situations is a supernatural work of God. Outside of God doing the work, it doesn't get done. And yet, God continually chooses to use us in his work that's bigger than us. Does that make sense? And so in 2 Kings chapter 4, what we see here is that this prophet's saying, okay, what do you have in your house? So let's continue reading here, beginning at the end of verse 2, because we stopped right in the middle. Let's keep reading here and let's listen to her response. Your servant has nothing there at all. Stop. That's not true. She just told a lie to the prophet. Okay? Because listen to what she just says. Except a small jar of olive oil. Now we're going to keep reading and I think it's probably still up on the screen. But just, just hang right there and just think about the way that we respond to God sometimes. Think about the way that we respond to other people. The prophet says, what do you have in your house? And she said, I don't have anything except this little jar of olive oil. If you're anything like me, don't we answer God that way sometimes? Don't we walk into the problems that we have, like we're sitting in the doctor's office and we get the bill, like the, the estimate of what the work's going to cost. We're sitting at the, at the car shop and, and they're telling us, we're, we're, we're getting the phone calls, we're, we're in that place, we're trying to figure out like what the next step. Don't we look at ourselves and go, well, I don't have anything I can give. I don't have anything I can contribute. I don't have any way to meet this need. I don't have anything that God could use. I'm not good enough for this. I'm insecure about this thing in my life. I don't have this strength. I'm not as good as that person. And so every single time, it seems like if we're not careful, we default to this type of mindset that says, I don't have what I need to allow God to do what he wants to do in me. Except I have this small jar of olive oil. What if... We made sure we always finished that sentence. Because I think sometimes we just stop at, I don't have anything. I don't have enough. I don't have anything. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough skills. I'm not talented enough. I don't make enough money. I don't live in the right place. I don't have the right opportunities. And we stop right there. We put a period right there. And I've said it before, and I stole it from somebody great. Don't even know who to quote. But sometimes we put a period where God's put a comma. Right? We think the sentence is over because we say, well, I'm not good enough. Well, guess what? You're exactly right. You're not. Neither was Moses. And yet, you have something that God knows he can leverage towards something greater. And so she says, I have nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Now listen to the commands of Elisha to her. He says, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. A couple thoughts here before we read the final part of this story. I believe that God always has a plan for replacing emptiness with fullness. I think that's a theme that we can see in the story of God and throughout Scripture. 
that God always has a plan to fill emptiness with fullness. You see all the imagery in Scripture about the way that he uses crops and agriculture, and he talks about there being sowing and reaping seasons. Wherever we reap and we leave the field barren, he wants us to come back after a time where it can be replenished, and he wants us to come back and sow new seeds so that eventually it will be filled again and we can reap a new harvest. He talks about us, and we referenced this last week in Matthew 5, 6, that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. He said that he would fill us with himself as the bread of life. And, and again, we referenced this last week. If you missed it, you need to go back and listen on the podcast. He talked to that woman at the well and said that if she would drink of him, she would never thirst again. There was something about fullness in her that could replace the emptiness in her. She talked about you know, the, when he would return, and, and he was saying, listen, I'm right here. There's a plan of God that always is about replacing emptiness with fullness. And so I would just say to you, this is not even the main idea today, but I would just say, if there's any part of your life that is empty, God desires to fill it with himself. And many times when I have gotten in trouble in my life, it's because I have attempted to fill those empty places myself rather than allow God to fill those empty places in my life. And so the prophet gives her very clear instructions. And her instructions, after, after he asks, what do you have in your house? And she tells him, then the instructions of God are not just centered on her. They include her community. They include the people that live next door. They include the people that live down the street. The problem for us sometimes is that we tend to think that our story with God is meant to be lived in isolation. We believe that sometimes we are left to our own devices to solve all of our own problems and to answer all of our own questions. And I believe that there's power in community. And again, this has been a theme for us over the last several weeks and the last several months as we see that together we can accomplish more than we can alone. And so what is it that God desires to do? It could be that the answer to your problem lives next door to you. I'm going to say that again. It could be that the answer to your problem lives next door to you. Like sometimes what we do, and I'm guilty of this, is we kind of pull into our driveway and we pull into our garage and we shut the garage before we get out of the car and we wait until it goes all the way down so we don't have to talk to our neighbor who's out there mowing his grass. Nobody's ever done that, just the uncomfortable, awkward laughs right now. There's a couple, couple of introverts that are kind of, oh yeah, I do that. Is that sin? If that's sin, I'm going to hell because I do that. <laughs> right? And like, what if, what if the person that lived next door, literally or figuratively, was the way that God was choosing to meet your need. Answer your prayer. Here's one. What if you are the way God is choosing to meet their need? Answer their prayers. What if as you are sitting in your garage, waiting on the garage door to go down, or you're in your house asking God to help you find purpose and asking God to help you figure out what it means to live life to the fullest, that next door somebody's praying that somebody would just engage them. Somebody would just talk to them. Somebody would help them debrief what's going on in their life and figure out the purpose and the meaning and what might be happening and why it's happening. What if you're the answer to the prayers that they're praying? That's right next door. God had a plan here through the prophet for this widow. And what he was saying was, listen, if you'll just go next door, it could be that everything that you are lacking, because you started with what you were lacking, everything that you're lacking exists, it just doesn't exist in your house. It exists in your neighbor's house. So let's keep reading. Let's finish this story. Verse 5. 
She left him and she shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. And she went and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. These three verses are so incredibly powerful, and it's not by accident the order in which things happened here. She continued to have empty jars, and the oil was enough to fill all of those empty jars until there wasn't another empty jar, and then the oil stopped. It didn't say that she ran out of oil and said to her son, I don't have enough. You'll have to take the rest of these jars back to the neighbors. Said, no, no, no. Send me another jar. He says, I don't have any more jars. And then the oil stopped. Here's what you and I need to know today. The power of God is enough to meet every need that you have. Every single need. As long as there is emptiness, God has enough power to fill it. As long as you are making yourself available to be used by God, as long as you are being obedient to the instructions of God, I believe that God is working to fill every empty place in your life and in your heart. I believe that with all of my heart. Here's the other thing that I believe about this, that if there were two more empty jars in the house, there would have been enough oil to fill two more empty jars. I believe if there were 10 more empty jars, there would have been enough oil to fill 10 more empty jars. I believe if she would have found 100 more empty jars, there would have been enough oil to fill 100 more empty jars. Because what I know about God is that he is more than enough. Go back to the story of the feeding of 5,000. There wasn't just enough food to feed 5,000. What was there? 12 baskets filled with leftovers. How many of you like leftovers? Right, I've talked about the varsity, so now I'm just going to talk about leftovers. We're going to make everybody hungry here. Y'all going to all go to brunch after this is over. There were 12 baskets full of leftovers when they were done feeding all these people. I believe this truth that exists in 2 Kings is, is evident here in the gospel story. I believe that whatever you have need of, God wanted us to know that he's not trying to just figure out how to get to the end of that need. I think he wants to show you that he is over and above. I believe this is not some kind of prosperity gospel. Like This is not like whatever we, you know, you just think it and God does it. and He's not a genie. That, that's not what I'm saying today. But I want you to know that God is powerful enough. He has the ability. He is miraculous. That he can do more than we think or imagine, according to Scripture. And so what he did is he met her need. And there was enough not to just pay off the creditor. There was enough for her and her sons to live on beyond this moment. God gave her, in this miraculous moment, enough to sustain her moving forward. God continued to pour out as long as she continued creating emptiness. And so, as I read this story... I read it again for like the first time in a while, back in probably November. We weren't in this building yet. We, we wanted to be in this building. We had wanted to be in this building for a while. But in November, we weren't here yet. Some of you weren't even here. You, you hadn't come to visit us for service. You weren't in 
in, in, in our services, and, and we opened January the 17th, but I had read this back in November, and, and I believed in that moment that God was saying something to me. I just didn't really know, so I was, I was just kind of writing it down. I journal a little bit, soap through Scripture, which is Scripture, observation, application, prayer, and so I do that with different passages, and I was doing that, and I was asking God, like, what is it that I'm observing about this text, and some of what you heard today is what came out of that passage, and the application, God, what, how do I apply this? What is it you're wanting me to apply about this text for my life personally and for the leadership of Canton Church, which at that point in November was still Mount Perrin North Canton Campus, the longest name ever in the history of a church. <laughs> and so January 17th, we, we, we rolled over to Canton Church in this facility with two services, and we've been in this facility now 22 weeks. We exist, you heard it in our announcements earlier, we exist to help people live a Christ-centered life. And we've just recently added this little tag to that that says, especially those disconnected from Christ. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. Because we want to help everybody take their next step in a relationship with Christ and living Christ-centered. But our target has always been, and so we wanted to verbalize it in our mission and vision, is to go after those who are disconnected from Christ. So we did that a couple months back. And so over the last 22 weeks, let me give you some statistics. I know statistics don't tell the whole story. Numbers don't tell the whole story, but they tell some of the story. Let me just tell you a few things so you're kind of tracking with where we've been. In the first 20 weeks or so of 2015, when we were meeting in Sequoia High School, we had 81 first-time guests. That was a good number. Like, we were proud of that. 81 first-time guests in the first 20 weeks or so of 2015. In the first 20 weeks or so of 2016, we have had 177 first-time guests, more than double. Now, here's what we do. You hear us say it every week. Some of you are like, can he please stop saying that? Um, here's what we do. We give gifts for the first three visits. So if you're a first-time guest, you come, you get the cup. And if you're a second-time guest, you come, you get the little charging brick. And if you're a third-time guest, you get a T-shirt. And so we, we say that every week, and we, we want to give those gifts to you. It's our gift to you just to say, hey, if you come three times, we really think that that's going to be enough time for you to figure out if this is a place for you. And some of you, many of you in this room, you've done that. And so we want to incentivize your first three gifts to give you opportunity to come back and just see if this is a place for you. And some people at the end of those, that second visit or that third visit decide, hey, this is not a place for me. And that's okay because the kingdom of God is bigger than this building. It's bigger than this church. And as I've said recently, and I'll continue to say, we're for every church in this town. Like we believe the kingdom of God's bigger than us. And so we celebrate, we prayed this morning for the other churches in town where the gospel is being presented. And so they go and find another church and we celebrate that. That's great. But other people during those first three visits have said, yeah, this is the place that I want to call home. And so here's, here's the numbers that we have, best of our ability. 177 first-time guests, 90 second-time guests, which is still more than the first-time guests we had last year. And, and if I, my numbers are right, I think 76 third-time guests, which means we've almost had as many third-time guests this year as we had first-time guests last year. Well, that's awesome. We celebrate that. We're excited about that. Because there's tons and tons of new faces and new energy in the first 20 weeks of this year as we've moved into this facility. We've seen 26 people say yes to Jesus and accept him as the Lord and Savior of their life in the first 20 weeks in this facility. 26 people. That's incredible. We've seen six people. Yeah, absolutely. Celebrate that. We've seen six people go public with their faith through baptism. We'll have another baptism later in the, uh, kind of the beginning of the fall, which we're excited about. We've seen six people go public with their faith through baptism. There's so many things that we could celebrate. The things that we're watching in our student ministry on Wednesday nights here in this facility. They just had a great event like last weekend or two, week, two weeks ago on a Wednesday night. They're kind of kick off the summer. Man, it was incredible. My son was here. Awesome event. 
what we're seeing in our children's ministry, like really exciting things that we're watching in our life groups and, and in serving. We've seen 41 brand new people start serving in 2016 here at Canton Church. 41, that's awesome, right? That's incredible. Well, here, here's what I want to make sure that you know. Everybody look, can you see the front of the stage? See the front of the stage? Some of you know this. I just want to bring us all up to speed. There's 209 stones here. It's not by accident. I promise they were counted a lot. 209. That represents the 209 Sundays that we were a portable church meeting at Sequoia High School. In the Old Testament, there's this incredible imagery of them building altars with stones and celebrating and remembering what God had done. And so we wanted to take a piece of our story in the first four years that we were in existence, and we wanted to put that in this facility so that we could celebrate and remember all that God had done. Because what we know about that part of our history is that wherever there was empty space, God filled it. That's what we know. And God continued to show us that. I'm going to skip one of the pictures here, guys. But I want to show you two years ago this week, we showed up at Sequoia and we started setting up. Because portable church means that we would set it up, we would have church, and then we would tear it all down. And so we showed up two years ago this week to Sequoia. We started setting it up and the power went out. (laughs) Some of you were there for that. Like the power went out at the school. We met in the theater. There were no windows there. It was black as black could be. You couldn't have church there. So what we did is we just moved out in the lobby. And so Daniel stole a piano, (laughs) I mean borrowed a piano from the band room and rolled it out into the lobby. There's Pastor Sean, he was our worship pastor. Go to the next slide. We just set up, we, we stole chairs from, I mean borrowed chairs from the library and just set it up in that little lobby, that little hallway there. And then they led worship and I preached in front of that Indian right there, up on the wall. With the spirit stick. I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. I think it was a whole different spirit there. But we, we had, Matt, I think, stole that stand-up, I mean, borrowed that stand-up base. That we, because here's what we knew. In the 209 Sundays we were at Sequoia High School, you know what we determined about God? Is that he was more than enough. There were some things fortified in our DNA in 209 Sundays that we carry with us today, and I pray if we're in existence for another 50, 7,500 years, that those pieces of our DNA never leave us, and we just do whatever it takes, because the gospel is more important than what I want to do, how comfortable I am, right? The goal is more important than my role. We is more important than me, that the kingdom of God is about a bigger story than my own personal comfort. And and so you come here, and if you come here semi-regularly, you may not even be aware of what's happening in our other service. We have two services. Show the picture. This was like two or three weeks ago, uh, the picture of the crowd from a couple. There were literally like no empty seats at 11 o'clock like two or three weeks ago. It was incredible. There's, There's not a ton of empty seats in here right now, but like that was just two or three weeks ago. And I'm telling you, like you walked in, you could not find a seat. A family had to split up and sit apart. Because there, were no, there wasn't four seats together. Like, that's incredible. And so here's what we believe about the truths of God. As long as there is emptiness, we believe God will fill it. And so how do we, how do we take that and apply it to the story that God is writing here through Canton Church? We've got to create more emptiness. If we're asking God to fill it, we have to create more empty space for God to fill. And so as of August the 7th, we're launching our third Sunday morning worship service. All right? Yeah. So everybody lock in right here because this is going to be confusing to some of you. Okay? Between now and August 7th, 
you keep showing up at the same time you're showing up now. All right, everybody with me? Because some of you are about to show up early next week, and that's going to be awesome, but we're going to put you to work. But listen, beginning August the 7th, not before then, unless God chooses to write a different story, beginning August the 7th, we'll go to these three service times, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. So everybody's got to move somewhere. 9.15, you can choose to come at 8.30. If you're an early riser, you get the worm, Right? Some of you won't get that till you're on your way home. That's okay. You're still not awake. That's fine. You're going to come to the 10 or 11.30. I get that. But you got to move somewhere. 8.30, 10, or 11.30. Beginning August 7th. Between now and then, keep coming at 9.15 or 11. Okay? That's, that's the plan. But what we're, we're not just adding a service. We're not just talking about numbers. What we are doing is trying to create more empty space for God to fill. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. There are disconnected from Christ people that you and I know that need to come to this place. And we want to make it as easy for them to come into this place and experience the love and the power of God as possible. So here's what we did. Remember, we moved into this place. We had one service in the school. We moved into this place. We started with two. Here's what we did. We built this facility, and we knew as we were moving through that, because of the double rent. Remember I said we wanted to be in here a lot longer a lot before where we, when we got in here. So we had double rent for a number of months. And so back in April, I told you, hey, we're going to take up a facilities offering, and we need to raise $100,000. we got to offset the deficit of what we incurred during that season, a little bit of a construction overrun, and then the deficit related to the double rent that was paid while we were still in the school paying rent, but we were also under lease here paying rent while we were trying to get into this facility. We needed to raise $100,000. So I haven't given you an update in a while, and some of you are mad at me, and that's okay. You're going to be happy in just a second, okay? As of today, of the $100,000, we have raised almost $96,000, all right? So here's what I just did. I created an empty space of $4,000, and God is speaking to somebody's heart or some people's heart, and we want you to help us finish that, that goal. You, you have the ability to write a check or some checks, $10, $50 at a time, $100 at a time, $1,000 at a time to get us over the hump, and we're going to exceed that goal. Because it's not about paying down debt. It's about positioning us for our future. Because here's what I want you to know. I want you to hear my heart here. Here's what I want you to know. We're going to three services in August. That's not the finish line. That's really just a, an extension of the starting line. We believe... That in the future, we'll have four services, five services. We believe that eventually we're going to expand this facility where there's going to be another probably hundred seats or so where this stage is at, and we could be where the nail salon's at with a stage, and they might move downstairs or into the space down here. We're like, we, that's what we. That's what I told you earlier. Like, if God's dreaming bigger dreams than I'm dreaming, that's exciting to me because I'm bring, dreaming some pretty big dreams. It's not about creating more seats. It's about creating more emptiness and asking God to fill it. And here's what that takes. If we're going to get to that place, we need people to serve. We've got enough people to serve two services. We need enough people to serve three services. And so if you're sitting here today and you're not yet serving during one of our two services, we need you to help staff a third service. Because remember, the goal is more important than my role. And we is more important than me. 
And so what we need you to do, and there's going to be a slide up here, we need you just to text right now, 770-691-2100, with the keyword Canton-Serve, right now. Take your phone out and do it. If you know, like I'm not serving, but I'm willing to help, you're not signing up from now until you die. Like you don't serve like the last day before you die, and then they put you in the casket. That's not how it works at our church. Like we are going to give you opportunity to serve, and we'll give you opportunities to step out of that role if you feel like the season's not right. And we'll celebrate all your faithful service between that time and that, like, but text that number and text that code because what we're saying is, listen, God, we're asking you to fill emptiness. And it's not just about empty seats. It's about empty serving roles. And what if God is wanting to fill an empty serving role with you? Like, what if, I'm going to say that again. That was good. What if God is wanting to fill an empty serving role with you? What we do is we have what we call serve one, attend one. You would serve in one of the services, during one of the services. And you would attend another service. Some of our roles, very few of our roles, you can serve in the same service you attend. That's very few. So serve one, attend one. You would still come. Kids ministry will have multiple environments so that if your kids are here while you're in two different services, they don't go to the same class two times in a row. We have something called Kids Life Extra that will happen in our 10 and 1130. So those kids get a different experience in both of the services that they're attending. They're not just stuck in a classroom somewhere. Something dynamic that will encourage them and lift them up and grow them in the character of God. What if God's wanting to fill an empty serving role with you? So you just text that number right now, and you're going to get a little text link back of a PDF of all the different serving opportunities. It doesn't obligate you. You're not signing up. You're requesting information. We'll follow up with you. But we also know that we are filling empty seats, or we're creating empty seats, and we're asking God to fill them. And I believe with all of my heart, other than the supernatural work of God to draw people here, which happened for some of you sitting in this room, like you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, and you've shared that story, that God brought you here. God he, you were just driving by. You just saw the sign. And you just, you just you were like, I, I'm going to go there Sunday. I'm going to go there now. Like, I'm not even dressed for church, but I'm just going to go. I'm just going to walk in and show up and see what it's like. Some of you did that. Well, we believe God's going to continue to do that. But we also know that of the 177 first-time guests, an overwhelming supermajority on their connection card, when we say, how did you hear about us, wrote somebody's name that attends our church. They wrote somebody's name. They said, hey, I came here because my neighbor invited me. The girl that cuts my hair invited me. The kid, their family, we're on the same baseball team. They invited me. You know the people that need to fill the empty seats that are being created. What if God wanted to fill the emptiness through an invitation that you extend to someone who is empty and he wants to fill with more of himself? I believe everywhere there's emptiness, God's choosing to fill it. We're creating space for God to fill empty chairs with people that are running on empty. That God has a design for their future. He wants to fill them up. What if he chooses to use you? He chooses to use me. What if he's looking at us today? with bigger dreams for this church than you and I can even imagine? And what if we're saying, God, we're, we're thinking about this three service thing and we're not really sure and we're thinking about all these different serving roles that we have and that will be created. What if instead of God saying, okay, here's what I'm gonna do, what if God is looking at us today and he's asking this question? What do you have in your house? In this house, we have some incredibly talented, faithful God-honoring people who aren't perfect. They're just trying to figure out how to make it. 
how to live lives every day. And what if God says, that's exactly what I need and meet this need? Will you and I say yes, see ourselves as a part of the solution of God in filling the empty places that we're creating and asking God to fill? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you dream bigger dreams than we dream. I thank you, God, for the incredible stories that we've kind of recounted this morning. I thank you for the stones on the stage that represent 209 Sundays of Portable Church, what that season taught us about you, what that season taught us about ourselves. God, I thank you for these first 20 plus weeks in this facility, all the new people all the people that have said yes to you, all the people that have gone public, all the people that are serving for the first time, in groups for the first time. We believe that a number is a name and a name tells a story. So God, I thank you for the incredible stories that are being written in this season of time in our history. And God, as we look to take this next step into three services on a Sunday morning, not the finish line, we haven't arrived, we have barely begun. So God, we are committing ourselves now to be about your kingdom work to a greater degree. So right now in this moment, God, I, I pray that you would help us to respond, to, to text a, a word to a, to a number and be willing to say yes to serving wherever there's a need. But we can match our passions and our gifts and our talents and our abilities to a need here in this church to teach children about the love of God, to help park cars so guests have a great experience, to serve coffee, to help people find a seat, to play in the band and lead people in worship, to take up the offering, to work security. And whatever it is we're doing in this place, we're doing it because people have said yes. And I pray for a new group of people to say yes to you today. And God, I pray today that you would help us to catch a vision for those in our lives that are disconnected from you. Let us no longer stand idly by Allow them to stay disconnected. But let us continue to plant seed. Let us continue to invite. Let us continue to water seed that was planted long ago in their lives and their hearts by someone else. And God, I'm believing for an incredible harvest in this next season. God, we can't wait to hear the stories of people that turn their hearts to you in a new and a dramatic way. We thank you for all you've done. We thank you for all that you're going to do. God, let us answer the question well as you ask us what we have in our house. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.